Thank you. If you brought your Bibles, please uh, take them out and turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. Twelfth chapter of Hebrews. And this morning we'll be looking at the first 11 verses. Hebrews 12, 1 to 11. And uh, hopefully you have your study sheet you can follow along with. Take notes if you choose. Last week, if you were here, you remember that we talked about dreams. Uh, specifically David's dream to build a wonderful temple for God. But God had other plans, and David was not able to build the temple. But his son was, and we looked at how David handled that and talked about our dreams. And sometimes our dreams come true, and sometimes they don't. And we have to trust God's purposes and God's plans and uh, always make sure that our dreams and plans are in submission to his and his will is included as we dream and and plan. I want you to know the timing is so wonderful. I had a dream come true this week. I had this dream that I would be able to play wiffle ball at the age of 70. And yesterday, my dream came true. And last night, my body said, you fool. It was a great day. Great day. Um, Today, we're going to talk about discipline, though. So we go from one D word, dreams, dreaming, to another D word, discipline. And... uh, We're all familiar with discipline, right? Uh, All of us who have been parents or coaches or in any position where you're trying to to train, you're trying to bring up and uh, instill in someone uh, certain qualities and characteristics and behavior, we know what discipline is like. And sometimes there's... uh, Uh, Discipline that takes the form of interference, where you have to step in and take action to teach. Um, Other times, discipline takes the form of non-interference, where you just let someone experience what they're experiencing and hope that they learn from it, whether it's consequences or or what it's like, and gain some wisdom and, and, and some teaching. Uh, we have six kids, and one of the things we learned, which I'm sure many of you have learned, is that all of your kids aren't the same, even when it comes to discipline. And you have to kind of study your kids and learn what disciplines work, what disciplines really teach and get the message across to the different children. And, yeah, the kids will see that, and they'll start, you know, screaming unfair, you know, but um, but kids are people and they're different. And as parents, we have to realize that to get the message across in discipline, it might be different for everyone. Like our oldest son, uh, 
you could not use the form of discipline that would be the go to your room and, uh, you know, uh, no friends, uh, no social engagements, you know, stay in your room. If you did that with our oldest son, he would love it. He would see it as a reward because he loved to be in his room all by himself. It was wonderful for him. So we learned early on we couldn't use that. It would teach him nothing. Um, but then our daughter, our only daughter, if you use the discipline of sending her to her room and she had to stay there, that would be like the end of the world. I see a young lady nodding there <laughs> because she was so social. And it would drive her crazy to be in her room. So for her, she got the message. Whereas with our son, it wouldn't give the message we wanted to give. Uh, another one of our sons, uh, we hardly had the opportunity to discipline him because as soon as he realized he'd done something wrong, he just repented. He was our repenter. Um, from an early age, God just blasted him with repentance. And uh, he would just immediately repent before we had a chance to decide uh, how to discipline him. Thank God for that. And, and then our youngest. Um, he, he was very stubborn. And there were times where he had to be spanked. That was the only thing that would get the message across when he was young. But what he would do when he knew he was going to get spanked, when we brought the love paddle into his bedroom, it had love written on it. Um, he would put his hands over his cheeks. And you would have to rip them off. Okay. And then once you did, and he got his uh, paddling, he would just look right at you and he'd say, Oh. I mean, just... And if you know our youngest son, he's not like that at all today, but um, uh, I think he got the message eventually. So discipline is, is different in different situations. And we're going to talk about discipline today. So I'm going to read the text now. It speaks about discipline. And uh, if you mark in your Bible, I want you to mark a couple things. As I'm reading along and you're following, I want you to uh, mark, underline, however you do it, circle, Every time the word discipline occurs in this passage. And then, of course, this is part of our But God series. So I want you, when we get to But God, those words, I want you to mark that so it stands out. All right, so here we go. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement 
that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Let's pray. Our Father, guide us as we look at what you teach in this passage about your discipline of your children. In Christ's name, amen. You notice the many times the word discipline occurs there. Uh, in my Bible, it's ten in, in those verses. It might be less than yours, more, but depending on the words that are used. But... Clearly, discipline is the main subject of this passage. Um, and we're going to talk about an unpleasant, painful discipline. We're going to talk about uh, an ongoing discipline. It's a parental discipline, I'm sure you caught it's a parental discipline. It's a non-interference discipline. And it's a purposeful discipline. It's God's discipline. I want to mention this as we start. This is a very specific discipline we're going to see in the context, okay? Very specific, and I'll point that out. The word that appears here in the original language, translated discipline, is paideia. And paideia is a word in the Greek that specifically refers to the training up of a child. Okay? The training up of a child. That's the word we have here. So it's a parental discipline. And of course, in this passage, who's the parent? God. Okay. So we're talking about a parental discipline here. It's the training up, okay, of a child. It's the idea of trying to teach through word and experience so that the child will grow and move toward the desired end that you have for them. It's a training. And you notice in the last verse that I read, in the NIV, it says, 
those who have been trained by it. So it's a training discipline. Okay. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to take you, you can follow along on your sheet very quickly through some of these statements that actually come word for word from our passage or they're, they're in different uh, phrases. Now, the first four are going to set the, the context, the situation for us. Remember I said this passage talks about a very specific discipline. And so the first four um, uh, phrases that come from the text are going to set up the context, the situation of the people the writer is addressing. Okay, it's a very specific situation. So first of all, you notice in uh, the first verse, you have that phrase, let us run with perseverance. So whatever the situation is that the writer is addressing, the readers need perseverance, right? Because he says, let's run with perseverance, standing firm, not giving up. They need perseverance. Whatever the situation is, they need it. Otherwise, he wouldn't say, run with perseverance. Second, at the end of verse 3, he says, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Whatever the situation is of the readers, there is a chance that they're going to get really tired of what's going on. And they're going to lose heart. They're going to get discouraged and maybe even consider giving up. That's what losing heart is. So whatever the context, whatever the situation of the readers, they need perseverance because they're getting close to wearing out and thinking about losing heart and giving up. The third, verse 4, he says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Why does he say it that way? They're in a struggle, that's what he says, in your struggle against sin. You haven't had to spill your blood. What's he referring to? Well, just in the verses before, he talks about Jesus, right? And talks about how Jesus had opposition from sinners to the point where they put him on a cross. And he shed his blood. And the writer says to the readers, in your struggle, you haven't shed blood yet like Jesus. But it's a struggle. And then fourth... We have this verse 7, which I think is a key to understanding what's going on in this passage. He says, endure hardship as discipline. Endure is very close to persevere. But notice he says, endure hardship, key word. What does that mean? They are going through hardship. 
And he's saying, endure it, get this, as discipline. So, if you put those four statements together, I think we come up with what the situation is that these people are in that's being addressed here. They are struggling. It has to be similar to the struggle Jesus went through. Opposition from sinners. And it's hardship. And it's so bad that they are potentially going to wear out and lose heart. So what would that situation be? I suggest to you that these readers are going through persecution, opposition, just like Jesus went through. They haven't shed their blood yet, but they are facing the hardship of persecution. A couple of scriptures in the book here. <clears throat> if you go back to uh, the 10th chapter, <clears throat> Starting in verse 32. 1032. Remember those early days after you had received the light. Received the light. When you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison. Joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. What does that sound like? Persecution. Because they had turned to the light. They had turned to Jesus. They were experiencing persecution. Hardship. Imprisonment. Mistreatment. All that stuff. If you turn to chapter 13. <clears throat> Verse 3. He says, continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. <clears throat> we have clear indication that the book of Hebrews is written to Hebrews, to Jewish people, who apparently <clears throat> have walked away from the Jewish faith, Judaism, and embraced Jesus. And they are being persecuted. They're being mistreated. It's become a hardship. They're struggling against people persecuting them. It's really hard. It's hard to persevere. Some of them are getting weary of it. Some of them are even so discouraged they may lose heart and give up. And the book of Hebrews, primary message of Hebrews is, hey, wait a minute. You have Jesus now. And Jesus is better than anything in that old system. It may be hard, but what you have is better. You have Jesus. And so, you know, I don't know. I'm guessing that they were being persecuted by 
friends, persecuted by family for leaving the Jewish faith, uh, persecuted by the church, by the religious leaders themselves. Uh, persecution was probably coming from many directions because they had embraced Jesus and walked away from Judaism. And it was hardship. That's the word. <clears throat> and what we're interested in is that the writer says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. So in this passage, in the context of the readers, in their experience, their situation, the discipline here is not punishment. The discipline here is not because of doing something wrong. The hardship they're going through of persecution is the discipline. It's non-interference discipline. God is letting these believers go through the persecution as training. That's the kind of discipline this is talking about. As children being taught through experience that they might move toward where God wants them. The hardship that they didn't bring on their own lives. I mean, you could probably say that because they embraced Jesus. But they didn't do anything wrong. But it led to hardship, persecution, to the point where they were tired and ready to lose heart. And the writer says it's a discipline. It's not punishment. It's the training up of a child. Your father wants to teach you something through this. Something good. So let's look at quickly the other statements from the text. Number five. Discipline is unpleasant and painful. Amen? It is. No matter what kind of discipline it is, whether it's in the gym <clears throat> or whether it's in the home or whether it's, um, you know, the justice system of our country, whatever form discipline takes, it's painful and it's unpleasant. That's just the character of, of discipline and training. Okay? And in uh, verse 11, the writer says that. He's, he's not going to be unrealistic. He says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. It is. We don't like it. <clears throat> um, six. God disciplines the children he loves. Verse six, because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. If you're a child of God, you will be disciplined, you will be trained, it will be unpleasant, it will be painful sometimes, but he is teaching you and training you because he loves you. He's a good, good father. He knows where he wants to take you. He knows what's good. 
And any discipline, whether it's interference or non-interference, like here, he's just letting them go through persecution. He's not stopping it. But it's because he's the loving father. He wants them to learn something. They're going to be trained in some way toward a desired end. Number seven. God disciplines us for our good. Verse 10. Referring to the human fathers, they disciplined us for a little while. As they thought best. And here's our but God. He says, but God disciplines us for our good. Now, we don't always think that. We don't always agree with that. You know, God lets us go through things, hardship, really tough stuff that wears us out. And uh, we get discouraged and we almost want to give up. But we have to hang on to this. But God disciplines us, trains us for our good. Does that remind you of another scripture? Romans 8:28. For God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him. God is a good God. And whether we understand it or not, he disciplines us for our good. There's a good purpose. Number eight. Discipline is training. Like verse 11 says at the end. Discipline is training that produces a harvest. This paternal, fatherly discipline. In this case, it's the persecution. Again. Not God inflicting it, but God allowing it to go on as a discipline, as a training for our good. He goes on to say it produces something that he wants to see produced in my life. What is it? It produces a harvest of righteousness, right living, right thinking. This training through hardship can produce right living and right thinking, righteousness, and peace. It can produce a peace in us that we can't explain, that maybe no one around us can understand. Paul says it's beyond comprehension, right? But... The training through the hardship can produce that kind of peace in us. It produces one other thing. Back in verse 10. It says, concerning the human fathers, they disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. You see, God's desire for his children is that we become more and more holy. More and more like Jesus. And he knows each one of us. Each one of his children. 
And he knows we're not all the same. And he knows what training is going to work for me. It may not work for you. And he knows what will help lead you toward being a more Christ-like holy person. Though it may not lead me that direction. And so he is going to train each of us in a way that we will become holy. That's his purpose. It's a good purpose. Even if it's unpleasant. Even if it's painful. But the loving Father, whose desire for us is that we be righteous, at peace, inside, and holy, like Jesus. He will train us in any way that will take us that direction. Number nine. Submit to the Father. Verse nine. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? The instruction here is submit to your loving Father. Submit to His training. He, he is letting you go through this persecution. You're not being punished. The world is persecuting you because you turn to Jesus. But God is letting it happen. He's not going to stop it. Because he knows this will train you up as his children. And produce fruit that is good. Righteousness. Peace. And holiness. Christ-likeness. And so submit. Trust Him. You may not understand, but trust Him. Trust His heart, good, loving Father. Trust His purpose. There's a purpose. Trust it. And trust Him. And persevere. Walk through it, standing firm. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Because Jesus is better than anything you had before. That's the message of Hebrews. But there are other attitudes we develop when we go through hardship. Right? And on your sheet, here's a little quiz. You have some of the different attitudes that we grab onto when we go through hardship. And you may be going through a hardship right now. And if your attitude is here, I want you to check the box. All right? This is a self-evaluating quiz. One possible attitude when we go through hardship is called defeated acceptance. 
In other words, we see it as fate. Oh, that's just part of life. It's going to happen. It always happens to me. I don't know why, but it always happens to me, so I just have to go through it. It's like this defeated acceptance of what's happening. Not a very good way to go through hardship. It's just fate. Uh, A second possible attitude that we can choose is called defiant unacceptance. This is where we get angry about what God is letting happen to us. And we get angry about how long it's going on. And we become defiant. Bitter. And yes, Christians do sometimes choose that attitude in hardship. A third one that sometimes we choose is self-pity. You know, it's poor me. I'm always a victim of these things. Why me? I don't deserve this. You know? And so you just kind of isolate from everybody and just suffer alone in your pity. It's another attitude to choose when we're going through hardship. A fourth is called resentful complaint. We become very complaining people about what's going on, our hardship. Everywhere we turn, no matter who we're with, we're complaining about what we're going through. Uh, We resent it. Um, And some people choose that. Or there is the attitude that the writer of Hebrews is suggesting. Submit to your loving Father. Trust Him. Trust that because He's letting this happen, non-interference, That he has a plan, and it's good. And he has a purpose. And that somehow it's going to lead to you being brought up as his child. It's going to produce something good. Like James says in James 1, the trials make us more mature and complete. They build us up. That's God's purpose. And so the writer just says, submit to the Father. He knows what he's doing. Submit to him. Persevere. Trust him. Um, Could you put that statement up on the screen? Uh, There's two different slides. I want you to see this, and I think we'll read it twice. It's about providence. And, of course, providence is um, the idea of the all-knowing God uh, who has plans working behind the scenes to see that those plans come to pass. It's providence. And we love that quality of God. Here's a statement about providence that I really like. It says, providence is the invisible hand of God inside the glove of human happenings. So think about your hardship you're going through right now. Okay, What that's saying is that God's providence is His invisible hand in the glove 
of that hardship. Ruling and overruling. Seeing what's going on and overseeing it. Next slide. No matter what you see, there is a hand you cannot see that is guiding and moving everything toward a holy purpose. Let's go back and I'll just read it without making comment again. Providence is the invisible hand of God inside the glove of human happenings. Ruling and overruling, seeing and overseeing. No matter what you see, there is a hand you cannot see that is guiding and moving everything toward a holy purpose. And I think that's what the writer is encouraging these Christians to practice. That submission to that truth. That even though you can't see it, God is there in his providence. And he's working. And he's working toward his holy purpose for you. And we just need to submit to that and choose that attitude and live. I like that. If you submit to the Father and trust Him in the hardship, it doesn't mean the hardship will go away, but you will live through it and there will be fruit. Finally, the but God principle. We'll close with this. We have a but God principle for every message in this series. I hope you're saving them and we'll have your own collection when this is over. But here's today's but God principle from this passage down on your right hand side of your study sheet. It says, when we face ongoing hardships, and we all do, right? You'll get your turn. I'll get my turn. Some of you, your turn is right now. You're facing a big one, hardship of some kind. Maybe it is persecution. Maybe it's something else. But if you're not, it'll come. We live in this world, right? So, here's the but God principle. When we face ongoing hardships that are unpleasant and painful, we often will view them as unnecessary intrusions into the life we're living. As the hardships continue, we grow weary and are tempted to lose heart. But God, as our loving Father, uses these hardships to train us up toward a Christ-like holiness. Our perspectives and attitudes can change if we will submit to Him and trust his good purposes. Can really relate to that first paragraph, right? Isn't that right on in your hardship? It's unpleasant. It's painful. It seems like an unnecessary intrusion into the life we want to be living. Our plans, all that. And as it goes on and on, we do grow weary. And we start entertaining thoughts of losing heart. I mean, that's just the way it is. But God. You see, but God changes everything, right? But God, as our loving Father, uses those hardships 
Remember, the writer said, endure hardship as discipline. It's a training. So he says, but God, as our loving Father, uses these hardships to train us up toward a Christ-like holiness. Our perspectives and attitudes can change. We can have the attitude of submission and trust. Because we know he loves us, he's good, and he has a good purpose, whether we see it or not. So spend some time reading through those nine excerpts from this passage. Spend some time reading the passage. Uh, Fill your mind with these truths about a loving father who trains up his children. Whatever way it's going to work, it's his choice. He knows his children. We're going to pray, and uh, I'm going to pray for anyone here who is going through a hardship right now and needs to apply some of these things and keep them in mind. Uh, Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the word. Thank you for this passage. Uh, Father, so often we look at this passage and and we think it's talking about you punishing us, uh, interfering, stepping in. Uh, making sure consequences are taking place. Maybe that's in another passage, and it probably is, Lord, because you do that too. But, Father, these people, their hardship was because they followed Jesus. And it was persecution. And it was mistreatment. And it was a struggle. And, Father, you let them know that it was also discipline. It was your way of training them up to be what you want them to be. And, Father, I pray that you would speak to hearts here today. I pray for those who are going through hardship right now. I pray for those who are just getting tired of the pain, getting tired of, of, of what they have to keep going through day after day, whatever it is, Lord, getting discouraged. Father, I pray for them. Strengthen them. Give them your grace. Remind them of this truth, that you're a loving Father, that you have a good plan, a good purpose. You are training them up to be like Jesus. And whether they understand it or not, Lord, I just pray that you would give them this extra measure of trusting you. This extra measure of submission to your plan and your wisdom. And God, that you would in turn give them righteousness and peace and show them how you're building into them the holiness of Jesus. And may they have a testimony someday of how you built them up, trained them up through hardship. In Christ's name, amen.
Thank you. 